Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We have a great guest. But first, a quick thank you to our sponsor. One of my friends in the real estate space, Rod Cleef, is hosting another one of his live events in Denver, May 17th to 19th, and it's all about multifamily investing. I've been a guest on his wildly popular podcast. If you've never been to one of his events, you've got to go. And I highly recommend you do. I've got a discount code that will get you 100 bucks off the ticket price. Go to rodsbootcamp.com and enter the code ESPRESSO at checkout. That's rodsbootcamp.com and enter the discount code ESPRESSO to get $100 off your tickets. We are back here on the Weekend Edition. We interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We have a great guest all the way from Nashville, Tennessee. Welcome to the show, Brad Smotherman. Victor, great to be with you. Excited to chat up the real estate game. So, Brad... You've been in this game a little while, and you have a unique area of specialty. But before we dive into that, why don't you give a little bit of your backstory in terms of how you got into the game of real estate? Yeah, I don't know how how interesting of a story it is. And one day I was 17 years old. I woke up and decided to get my real estate license. And Victor, I didn't really think about real estate going to bed that night, but I woke up thinking about real estate. So I uh, I had a math teacher who was uh, a big influence on me back in eighth grade, and you know I had a, a close family member pass away, and he kind of mentored me at that time. So he had his real estate license, and I called him out of the blue. He remembered me and said, "Hey, you know, I think this would be a good thing for you." So while I was in college, I sold real estate. Um, my first six months, I did a, a very poor job. Um, I made one closing that uh, I think I netted somewhere around eighteen hundred and twenty dollars. And that was not paying the bills. But luckily, I got picked up by a builder developer. I learned new construction. I learned development. And in 2010, I retired my license just to do investing. And I've been there ever since. I love it. One of the things that, of course, 2010 was probably not a great time to be in development because you could certainly buy things far below construction cost at that time. So where did you go from there? Yeah. So I ended up retiring my license at the very beginning of 2010, having never bought an investment property. And the the thought that I had was I need to burn the bridges because I, I want to be an investor or I want to die trying to be an investor. And so it was really that hard, fast decision that began to create my success because I, at that point I was committed. So with a, a college degree in accounting, I began to pressure wash houses to make ends meet. My uh, sweet wife, she was a kindergarten teacher. So between the two of us, we were making it work, but you know, it, it was a struggle. And so it took me about eight months to hit my first deal, but that first deal was a wrap note and deed of trust where I made $20,000 in down payment money and I got a note. So from there, I, I started putting money into the marketing machine and increasing that. We started buying monthly and then a couple times a month and weekly. And now we've we've bought it in, I think, 16 states at this point. I love that. So today, your specialty is notes and creative financing. Let's dive a little deeper into that. And when you talk about notes, maybe walk us through an example deal, something that is fairly typical of the type of project you do. Yeah. So, um, a really simple deal for us is going to be, um, and I can kind of break it down two certain ways. So there's two types of properties, those that are free and clear and those that have some type of debt attached. Okay. So if the property is free and clear, then we're in almost all circumstances, we're negotiating some type of owner financing from our seller. And most of the time that's at a 0% rate, which means we can pay at or pretty near market value in today's terms because the present value is so much less whenever we bring that future cash flow to present value at 0%. 
So from there, that's our purchase. And then we're selling the property with owner financing, usually at a 7.9% rate on a 30-year loan. So we're making um, a few different profit centers. Number one, we usually have a profit center with the down payment. Number two, we're getting cash flow on our notes every month. Number three, the note is going to cash out in the future. And in most circumstances, our note appreciates because there's an underlying financing that is uh, paying off quicker than our wrap is. So that's kind of an example of a free and clear property. If a property has debt attached to it, most of the time we're buying the property subject to that debt and we're again selling with owner financing. So um, it's, it's a lot of fun. We've had a great success doing it. We're creating a lot of note at this point. So what's the incentive for the seller to sell the property with a seller financing at 0% interest? You know, and that's a good question. So there's two types of equity. There's equity in price and equity in terms. So price equity is the equity everyone talks about that you have to buy at 70% minus repairs to to have a good retail transaction. Um, A lot of people are stuck on price so much that if you know how to negotiate, that we can give them 100% of the price that they want if we can do the transaction with the terms that we need. So price is a function of terms. So, you know, we can absolutely pay a million dollars for a property worth 750000 but we may have to buy that at a such significant uh, reduction of, of kind of standard terms to make that kind of deal work. So, you know, in, in that situation, the seller is more concerned about the price that they're getting than the terms of that price. So we're able to buy equity in terms at that point. Got it. That's quite clever. So... So that's an example of a property that has no debt attached to it. What do you do with a property that has debt and potentially has some covenants that maybe make it difficult for secondary financing and things of that nature? Yeah, and that's a great question. So we'll take a kind of a standard transaction. This is a transaction that we did uh, about 10 days ago. We bought a property. There's 240000 owed in first position, and it was three months behind. Okay. The seller wanted $10,000 cash, and kind of their situation was they were in the middle of a divorce. The wife had left. They had children. He couldn't make the payment. He knows he's not going to be able to make the payment in the future, and he's just done with it. Okay, so we're in it at $250,000. So we're taking that $250,000 subject to, and what that means is that 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 loan is going to remain in place after closing. So the loan remains in our seller's name. We take title. And then we're going to sell that property with owner financing. So we're going to sell this property probably around $330,000 with $25,000 down. So in this kind of scenario, we'd make $15,000 in today money. That's a net down payment, the $25,000 from our buyer minus the $10,000 that we're giving to our seller. So that leaves us with $15K. And then we have a note, a wraparound note of $305,000 that's wrapped around $240,000. So we have roughly $65,000 in note profit on that transaction as well. So, I mean, that's kind of a standard transaction where there's something owed on the house. So we just buy it subject to, and we're still selling with owner financing. So the original note remains in place now, not just to you, but now to the to the second buyer. Yet, most likely, there's still personal guarantees attached to that original note from the original seller. So the, the seller is not without some risk, but for the most part, they're out of it. Yeah, I mean, they certainly have risk, and we are 100% upfront about that. And then there's disclaimers that we have approved by both our seller and our buyer that show the transaction. So um, everyone is really concerned about the due-on-sale clause. And for those that aren't familiar, the due-on-sale clause is a provision in most mortgage financing that says that the bank or the lien holder has 
the right, but not the obligation to call that loan due. And so in that circumstance, which I've never had happen, and I have many friends that do this, and none of us have ever had happen, but it does happen. Lightning does strike. So in that kind of a scenario, kind of our our out is we can bring in private money for that first position loan to, to cash it out, or we can just sell our wrap. We can sell our note at a discount to make everybody whole in the transaction, and we would lose our equity in that transaction, but we're still making money on the, the down payment. So uh, again, it's not something that keeps me up at night. Lightning does strike, and if it strikes us at some point, we'll deal with it. Got it. Are you applying this strictly on single-family homes? Are you applying it on investment property, or are you applying it even on larger multifamily properties? To, to talk about that, about one-fifth of our business is tired landlords. So we've bought groups of rentals before. We've bought single-family rentals before from people that are just done with the rental game. And there's a big difference in what we do as a note holder versus uh, a, a landlord. You know, we want to be landlords, not landlords. And so the difference is we don't have vacancy and repair. You know, uh, our income is stated as a PI payment on the note, so we don't have anything coming out of that unless the note defaults, which would happen, you know, roughly seven to ten percent of the time, depending on your paper and depending on the down payment that you get from your buyer. But uh, we haven't sold with owner financing with land. I have bought owner finan- bought land with owner financing. Um, I bought uh, some some multifamily, some really small like. I think we bought a quad one time with owner financing. I know we bought duplexes with owner financing and at 0% owner financing. So, I mean, those are really great deals. So even if you're a rental guy, and I'm not disparaging against rental people, uh, but if you know how to deal structure and you know how to negotiate, buying with 0% owner financing, if you want to keep that asset, I mean, a lot of the times it's like basically a free property because your rental income payment, even net after your vacancy and repair over time, is going to be about the same as your payment to your seller, that's just a principal payment. So over time, you're creating an equity position that that's basically free to you. One of the criticisms I often hear about owner financing is that it's a technique that's used by a lot of sellers when there's a cloud on title that they don't want to bring to the forefront. As a buyer, do you still go through the full process, make sure that you've got clean title, you get title insurance, and all of those types of things that you would do from a due diligence standpoint if you were buying the property outright? And the answer is absolutely. So we get a a title search every single time. If we're buying it subject to a mortgage, if we're buying the property subject to a mortgage, we generally do not get an additional title policy because there's already title, a mortgage insurance policy on the, the mortgage that's already in place. So in that case, we don't get additional policies unless we just have somebody that has like a crazy amount of judgments. And at that point, we probably will. But I guess the short answer is it depends on the type of transaction if we're getting additional title insurance, but we always get a title search every single time. Absolutely. Fantastic. Are there particular states that you favor or states that you stay away from? So I wouldn't say that there are states we stay away from, but I will say that there are certainly states that we favor. So we want to ideally be in a deed of trust state. And a deed of trust is just a a short foreclosure state. So we can, in many cases, foreclose in about the same time as it would take to evict. Where, you know, states like Florida, they're just mortgage states, which means it's a judicial foreclosure process, which can take, you know, six months to a year to foreclose. So in those kinds of situations, we just have to to be um, a little bit more conservative in the transaction. I would still do a deal in in a mortgage state, but it's not my preference. And then I guess some states that have deed of trust or mortgage, you actually have to look at the details and see what was actually recorded. Was it a mortgage or a deed of trust? 
That's correct. Fascinating. So folks want to learn more. What's the best way? Yeah, everyone can find me at bradsmotherman.com. I also have a podcast investor creator on iTunes. And for those that are so inclined, I love new friends on Facebook. So you can add me, Brad Smotherman, on Facebook. So definitely reach out to Brad. You can reach him at bradsmotherman.com. That is spelled S-M-O-T-H-E-R-M-A-N. And for the listeners at home, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. Tomorrow.